0: Okay, so repeat that back to me word for word. Yes. That is a long gospel. It's one of my favorite gospels, but also in, you know, uh, 10 or 12 minutes, we're not going to be able to unpack everything. Um, And so I want to commend to you a book by um, uh, uh, Carolyn Lewis, Caroline Lewis uh called belonging which is an entire book just on this gospel um and i'm going to take a sip because um i have the eternal water i believe in christ but my throat still does get that's a metaphor so (laughs) okay so i want to start with a quote by dorothy sayers who is a woman who's in the episcopal church's holy women holy men uh, books or calendar of, 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 of saints of the Episcopal Church or people to be held up is uh, for one, not as perfect, but um, as having one or, or two or three or four or five things that uh, commend them uh, in their uh, courageous Christian life. And uh, Dorothy uh, was a, a mystery writer and she was uh, English. She was born in 1893 and she was very critical uh, of the theology of the Anglican Church and the way people live their theology as being very superficial. So here's a wonderful quote from a very opinionated woman. I don't know any of those. (laughs) Let... (laughs) Uh, So she says uh, let us in heaven's name drag out the divine drama from under the dreadful accumulation of slipshod thinking and trashy sentiment heaped upon it and set it on an open stage to starter the world into some sort of vigorous reaction. We do God singularly little honor by watering it down till it could not offend a fly, our faith, our theology. Surely it is not the business of the church to adapt Christ to men, but to adapt men to Christ. So as I said, Slightly opinionated um, and calling out sort of a superficial engagement of the church in the lives of the uh, the in England the the Anglicans in England in her day. I thought about that quote recently in light of the, the gospel but also uh, for some reason in the last couple of weeks I've been having uh, a, a lot of conversations with people outside of the church that make me very sad about how the church has treated them um, and um, they're, they're, they're just very very sad um, one woman told me um, about how she wasn't able to take communion because she was divorced or she had told her priest about some reproductive health history and, and it just made me very very sad and another woman told me about how you know, she was raised and, and the message she got in her church. And again, I'm not trying to say we're, we're better than other churches. I'm just trying to um, uh, say that, um, that I, I, this is not what I think God is calling us into, the kind of church God is calling us into, to keep people away. So the other, the other sad thing that this woman told me about was that um you know all her life she'd been raised in this theology where she could never be enough for god never never be enough for god and i think about the baptismal uh liturgy where um you know we 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 say you are sealed by the holy spirit in baptism and marked as christ's own forever and what that means is that there's 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 nothing you can do to to take God's love away. You're never not good enough for God. The only person that separates themselves from the awareness of that love is ourselves when we when we when we when we you know, deny God or block God or whatever it is, unfriend God, you know, we 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 deny that truth that God's love is always there. Um, within reach. And so that that growing up and and being um, uh, formed in a theology where you're never going to be good enough for God. And then another woman, it it all happened to be women this week, I don't know, or the last couple of weeks, another woman said that she, when she was an adolescent, she realized that she was a lesbian and her friend and her, who were, he was gay too, they, they went, would go down to the nearest churches to see if they could join. Her family was not religious and they just wanted, they liked to sing and they wanted to sing in the choir and, um, and they were just kind of honest about who they were and they were rejected by every church in their neighborhood because of their sexuality. They don't belong, right? Don't belong. So that kind of shame just really has no place in church. That kind of shame, that othering, that rejection, that exclusion, it just has no place in church. And it's not biblical. So people say, oh, the Episcopal Church, you guys don't, you know, study the Bible that much or you don't quote the Bible that much. Well, first of all, there's Bible all in our liturgy and all in our Book of Common Prayer. We study the Bible a lot. We, we don't necessarily proof text. We study the Bible a lot. And we're careful with what we, how we quote the Bible. But I'm going to tell you that those actions, those beliefs of those churches is not biblical. And all you have to do is look at the gospel today. All you have to do is listen to that long gospel today and listen to Jesus get into the most deep and authentic and longest theological conversation that he has in all the Bible with a woman whom his disciples didn't really want him to talk to and with a Samaritan who were in tension, you know, some sort of enemies with the Jews. So Jesus was Jewish, and if you look at this gospel in context, he was traveling from one part of, uh, to another, and he didn't have to go through Samaria to get to where he was going, but he made a detour to go to Samaria to engage with Samaritans and he happened to speak with this woman. And he spoke to her like she had something to say. And he spoke to her person to person. And as Caroline Lewis says, she told uh, him her deepest truth, I have no husband, and he told her his deepest truth, his deepest truth, I am he. I am he who you speak of, the Messiah. And Jesus didn't go around saying that very much. And so what Jesus was doing was breaking down barriers. He was going to engage with people. He was being inclusive. And he was accepting people for where they were in their lives and having conversations that changed their lives. This last week, as well, I heard um, uh, in the news that the Hungarian president had talked. He was speaking about Christian democracy. And then I I googled some of his beliefs and, like, what does he mean by that? And and some of the stuff. And what he meant by that was a Christian democracy is a democracy that is against multiculturalism. Christian, so two words, Christian and democracy, are against multiculturalism. Christian and democracy are anti-immigration, and Christian and democracy are uh, focused on a family, a Christian family model, which is a traditional uh, mom and dad and kids nuclear family. And again, I want to go to the gospel, and I want to look at that gospel and say Christ himself went out of his way to engage other cultures. It's the good news in this gospel. Christ himself, you could say he was an immigrant into, or a migrant into Samaria, right? Christ himself got into the longest, uh, respectful theological discussion with a woman who had no husband. Not the family model that the president of Hungary talked about. And so those values have nothing to do with Christianity. Nothing to do with Christianity. In his book for I Was a Stranger, a Christian Theology of Hospitality, Arthur Sutherland explained, defined a Christian hospitality this way. In light of Jesus's life, death, resurrection, and return, Christian hospitality is the intentional, responsible, and caring act of welcoming or visiting in either public or private places those who are strangers, enemies, or distressed without regard for reciprocation. Again, let's go look at what's happening in this beautiful dialogue, this beautiful um, interaction, this beautiful conversation in the gospel. Jesus intentionally went to Samaria, was responsible and responsible, he responded to the woman with respect and caring in visiting in a public place, someone who was a stranger, considered an enemy, and very possibly distressed. We're not sure why she was there at noon by herself. Sutherland also says that a stranger is no longer a stranger for the person who must become a neighbor to someone in need. Even an enemy ceases to be an enemy for the person who is obliged to love him, to do good to him, and respond to his immediate needs promptly and with no expectation of repayment. We are called and shown by Jesus himself how to act in hospitable ways as ones who would imitate or follow him in the here and now, to engage with people in dignity, to go out of our way intentionally, to be respectful and kind and caring, to not say at a superficial level of, oh, I believe this, so I'm okay. You know, I want to keep my little group, you know, safe and saved. So let's make sure anybody that questions our, makes us think about what we believe, stays out. No. We are called to be intentional, responsible, and caring about how we live our lives as followers of Christ. One of my favorite verses of all time is from Romans, and people have a complicated relationship with Paul, but I love this, I love this verse. We boast in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not disappoint because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given us. So don't let anybody claim that something is of Christ when it's not. I don't mean to be getting into fights over words, but just show in your life as much as you can what it means to be a neighbor amen